0: with us in worship in fellowship and and now in the word we're coming around the word of god and uh to our podcast family a big welcome to you and uh i was just thought this morning please make them feel right at home and very much part of this body here in charters towers and i just love if you would just give our podcast family the biggest round of applause here this morning can you do that So many people joining us and lots of people from Tasmania and Victoria and New South Wales throughout Queensland and regularly from two states in America, we get downloads every week from there, from Singapore and places like that. So make them feel welcome. Our church is actually bigger than what we see right in front of us. So, but, this, but this month we've been speaking about writing the vision for your life. It's been a whole month and now this is my fifth message along those lines and everyone has been built line upon line, precept upon precept. And it's a strategic time of year to write the vision as God commanded the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2 to make it plain. And why write the vision? So when you read it, that you can run with it. And there is something that is released when we commit to the written form, that which is seen through the eyes of the Spirit. Did you get that? There's something that happens or something that is released when we commit to the written form that which is seen through the eyes of the Spirit. The Lord can give you a vision, and does often, and to see what your future could lie ahead. And he says, write that vision, because there's something dynamic that happens when we commit it to paper. Spiritual laws go into effect when we, one, write the vision. The other one is when we confess the word of God over your life, as we discussed in Romans chapter 10 and verses 8 to 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. So it talks about possession of what you confess, that you possess what you confess. Spiritual laws, the world uses them and it does work. It's a spiritual law because uh, uh, we know that the spirit realm is voice activated. The other one there we talked about living for the cause of Christ and a life and a vision that bears witness to the truth. It helps us when we live for the cause of Christ and when you know your cause jesus said to pilate while he was on trial jesus jesus wrote this uh, jesus said this sorry for this cause i was born and for this cause i have come into the world that i should bear witness to the truth so a cause for your life or a vision for a life that bears witness to the truth god can breathe upon and jesus had a purpose jesus just didn't come here and let it all pan out no he had a purpose David said, when he, when he looked upon Goliath and everybody was in awe, and David said, is there not a cause? And the word there in the, in the Hebrew is, is there not a devar? And a devar is a divine word. Is there not a divine word? Is there not a command or royal cre- decree? Or is there not a divine communication? And when they, were, when they were instructed or they were commanded to go in to possess the land, David was reminding them, is there not a divine word? And it gives you a purpose in the face of something, uh, uh, adversaries to the vision. And, to, and, the, and I see the great blessing of living f- uh, for something that is bigger than yourself. Amen? And I see, I see when people live for something bigger than themselves, they raise to the event or they raise to the occasion. And it brings out the best in them. Th- the uh, fourth message there was, seek the Lord. And uh, in every season of your life, and sometimes we seek the Lord for a vision or a plan for our life, and that's a great thing, and I, but I did a reflection on the life of King Asa, who was the third king of Judea, and uh, I pray that you go back to those messages and, and just go over them and re-sow them, because they will help you in the year ahead of maintaining your vision that God has for your life. And we saw in First Chronicles chapter 14 and 16, in regard to seeking the Lord, And uh, uh, that King Asa's reign was defined by whether he succeeded or fell in direct proportion to when he sought the Lord. Amazing. And so in three chapters from from the the coming in of the kingship of King Asa to when he died and uh, how his ministry, how his kingship, how his kingdom rose and fell uh, by when he sought the Lord and when he did not seek the Lord. And so... uh, all these are spiritual principles. And the Bible is full of spiritual principles. And, uh, and I, 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 uh, I like these spiritual principles like arrows in your quiver. And at any point in time, you can pull out a spiritual principle, an arrow, put it in your bow and begin to fire it. To see the vision that God has for your life established. To turn a pipe dream into something that is real, to have substance. And that vision once obtained remains fruitful and maintained and so we saw in king ass's life when he continued to seek the lord that the lord maintained his vision who knows it's one thing to be striving for a vision or working towards a vision but when you obtain that vision how do you maintain it and not let it die and so this morning i'd like to add another spiritual arrow and once seeing your vision become a reality how do you keep it alive How do you keep it sustained and not lose it or see it even die? And I've seen, and you would have too, that people who have come into great victories in life obtain everything that they strive for, work towards, only to see it fade away, amen? And so that's one of the perils of not seeking God. But today I'd like also, what is our response when the storms in life come? And we know that they do. It's one of the promises of God, that the storms in life come. Jesus said the storms in life will come. So they will come. It's a promise of God. It's not one that we confess every day, but the storms in life do come. It's, co- it's called life. Amen. It's called life. And we're called to be resilient in the face of adversity when things waver, when things, when things get blown around. And, and so um, when the devil fires a few arrows of his own, Because he's got an agenda as well. He's got a job description to rob, to kill, and to destroy. That's his job description. And he fires a few arrows of his own while we are going to add another arrow to our quiver this morning. So I'd like, if you will, to turn to uh, 2 Kings and chapter 4, if you wouldn't mind. And... uh, This is going to be a, a, I believe this is going to build into your life some resilience. When the storms in life come, how do you hold on to and maintain your vision and not see it falter, not let it die in the face of adversity? And this is a great story and talks about a testimony for all time of the biblical kingdom and godly responses to prevail and persevere. There's some good words prevail and persevere we don't like to talk about prevailing and perseverance because it almost you can almost feel the sweat as i say it can't you and prevailing and persevering but in life we have to prevail and persevere it's called intestinal fortitude when faith is under pressure and faith under fire and if you're going to press into God, you're going to come under fire. Make no doubt about it. That also is a promise from God. When you sign up in the Lord's army, you've got an immediate enemy. enemy. You've got an immediate enemy. And his name is the devil, amen. And he hates you. You think, oh, that person really hates me. Nobody hates you more than the devil, Amen. People said, oh, I know, I'm Mr. Popularity. I want to tell you now, a lot of people don't think there's even a devil out there. I want to tell you, have an adversary. His name is Satan. His name is the devil. And he hates you. That's his job description. And he liked to see you fall. He takes great glee in seeing the saints fall, to come into sin, to do this, to do that. He loves to do it. That's his job description. But in the land of Israel, joining Lake Galilee in the north... And the, the Dead Sea in the south, joining those two water bodies, is the River Jordan. And uh, just a little shy of midway along that river, there lies, there, there lies about 2,800 years ago, I'm not sure if it's still there today, a small town on the west bank called Avel Mehola. Can you say that? Avel Mehola. Okay. And so and that town in the Old Testament was made famous because it was the hometown of the prophet Elisha, not to be conf- con- confused with the prophet Elijah. Elijah was the first prophet, and Elisha was his protege. So we're talking about Elisha this morning. And his ministry travels took him from uh, this place called Avel-Maholah. Through the Jezreel Valley to the northern side of the Jezreel Valley, you would hear of that. It's called Armageddon and talked about in the book of Revelations. And which is really, uh, when you look from Mount Carmel down into the Jezreel Valley, that is the, the Valley of Armageddon there, which will be the final battle scene in the book of Revelations. And, uh, and it was there uh, at uh, Mount Carmel uh, that the prophet Elijah had that showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal. And uh, that was what you would call Elisha's circuit ministry. So, Elisha the prophet had a circuit ministry from this place on the midway of the Jordan, north and south, from Avel Maholah. And then he went through the place called Shunem up to Mount Carmel, which is, was his regular place of prayer. So, that was his circuit ministry. And that was Elisha's job. And an average traveller could cover about 15, 20 miles per day. That was in those days. I'm not sure if that would be so now. We're not used to that sort of walking anymore, particularly in sandals. And uh, But a day's journey on foot either way would bring Elisha and his servant Gehazi to a town called Shunem. And it was an obvious stop over place to rest for both Elisha and his servant Gehazi. So here is Shunem, here is Shunem, and down down here is uh, Avel Mahulah. and so he would make his way, and it was a day's journey through to Shunem, and then another day's journey so to Mount Carmel. So it was an obvious place for him to rest. And so I'd like to now just go to 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'm going to begin to paraphrase and whisk through some verses to fill you in on this amazing story And if you can get hold of the nuts and bolts of this story, this will allow you to stand strong in the face of adversity. Who would like to stand strong in the face of adversity? Things are tested, not in the good days, amen? And uh, uh, it's a bit like faith sometimes. It's like a life jacket. A life jacket wasn't designed to be worn on deck. A life jacket is designed so that when you get thrown into the storms of life that she can survive and do well and live. Amen? Faith is like that. And faith comes to its own when the storms in life come. And that's what I'd like to talk about here this morning in this, in this book of 2 Kings and chapter 4, and now beginning to read from verse 8. And I'm going to read it in a bland fashion to start off with to show you that when we read it, we can miss so many things. Now, it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as they passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. So it was a regular thing. And she said to her husband, Look, now I I see that there's a holy man of God who passes by regularly. Let's make a small upper room for him, put some furniture in it, a chair and so forth. And uh, it happened one day that he came in there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, that's his servant... And he said, call the Shunammite woman. She doesn't even have a name in this this amazing text. She's not even given the name except the Shunammite woman. And he called her and he he said to him, say say now to her, look, you have been concerned with us. You've looked after us. What can I do for you? And basically she said, I'm I'm all good. There's nothing you can do for me. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son. And her husband is old. So that paints a whole picture there, doesn't it? And so, uh, so he said to call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. In other words, don't raise false hopes for me. My, my husband is old. There's no chance of me having a son. But the woman conceived and bore a son when she, at the appointed time had come. That's in verse 17. In verse 18, the child grew. Now, it happened one day that the child went to his father and he said, my head, my head. And so uh, he he said to one of his servants, carry the boy to his mother. And when, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then he died. So the boy died. This miracle child died. The miracle died right in front of her. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. That's that little room that she built on the top of her house, shut the door upon him and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me uh, by one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so basically she ran to Mount Carmel. I mean, that is, that is really legging it on a, on a donkey. On a donkey. And, uh, and the husband says, why are you going? And all she said was, all is well. I mean. Amazing, isn't it? That's what her response was. Here a son was dead on Elijah's bed. And the husband, she didn't even say anything. She just said to the husband, all is well. She saddled a donkey and, uh, and she said, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. Please bear with me for a few more verses. It's, gonna, it's really going to come together. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her far off, Uh, That he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman. And it's a fantastic view view from the top of Mount Carmel. When you look down into the Jezreel Valley, it is an amazing view. Broad view, very, very clear view. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? It is well with your husband. Is it well with your child? And she answered, it is well. To all three questions, all she said was, it is well. Now she came to the man of God at the hills. She caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, her soul, for is in deep distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask for a son, my Lord? Did I say, do not deceive me? In other words, uh, Elisha realized that the boy's life was either in deep jeopardy or was dead. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if you, anyone greets you, do not meet him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. In other words, Elisha was just going to stay. But she grabbed hold of Elisha and says, I will not leave you. Now, Gehazi went on ahead of them. Anyway, Gehazi laid the staff on the boy's head, and nothing happened. And not a thing, nothing, nothing changed. But Elisha came into the house and there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands and he stretched himself on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. The child was coming back to life. He returned and walked back forth in the house and again went up, stretched himself on him, then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in, he said, pick up your son. So he went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. Within the, within those uh, 29 verses, 29 verses, that's all there is, is probably the most powerful principle to maintaining the vision that God has for your life in good seasons and not so good seasons. And we all have both. You don't have to talk about talk to anybody for very long to know that there is always some good stuff going on and some stuff that is not so good. But herein lies the principles of this woman and she's dis- described as a, as a great woman. And uh, when we have a look even at that first verse, um, it says... This amazing story of how to hang on to your miracle. And uh, she said it happened that one day the went to Shunem, and there was a notable woman. But in the original Hebrew, it's amazing to read that that word notable there is great. And in the King James Version, that's how it's translated as great. She was a, a great woman. Not just an ordinary woman, she was a great woman. And in fact, the same word that they use great, there, we saw how great is our God, that is the same Hebrew word that they use, gedol or gedolah, because it was the feminine, gedolah. Gedol Adonai Elohim. Great is the Lord God. Gedol Adonai Elohim. Great is the Lord God. And in, that, in the original Hebrew, that woman was defined as great. And when you read this over and over, you just see how great this woman was. And she, and within her life and within this miracle, she obtained the miracle through, the, through being giving a boy, but to retain her miracle for the boy not to even die, she had to press into God to keep her miracle. And you will too. You will too. We are, none of us are remote nor far off from having things, adverse things happen into our life. It's a promise from God. Adverse things happen. We need to deal with it, princess. Amen? That's what they say to it. Get over it, princess. That's the words we use these days to some of the young generation. Get over it, princess. Toughen up. Things happen. But what is our response? What does faith do when things come our way? And so in this amazing story in verse 8, he was persuaded and she persuaded Elisha to eat. Provided for Elisha's needs, built a house on his roof, decked it out, fed the prophet and the servant, put a stool in there. The translation of that word stool is thrown. It's not just a little timber stool. She was a wealthy woman, amen? She was a wealthy woman. And and then she was brought before uh, 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 the prophet and she said, and he said, can, is there anything that I can do for you? Can I petition the king for you? Can I do this or could do that? She says, no, I am fine. In other words, there was no ulterior motive in her blessing the prophet. And I'll just go into uh, uh, what this made this woman great. And so in our Bibles, we see there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat. And in that first verse, we can see, I want to add some dimension, some color, some texture to this bland but almost understated scene, which occurred about 2,800 years ago. And this word of here has been kept alive for us in the word of God to encourage you and I here today. This is just not a historical account or a book or a reasonable story. It is so that we can learn and apply this word to our lives today. And so I want to add some texture and some color, and I went to numerous versions. I went to about 40 versions of the Bible to bring out the richness of that first verse. It says in the Old King James, a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. In there, it just says, a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. The word there is lechem, which is bread. And so she was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. In the Amplified, it says, a prominent and influential woman, and she persuaded him. In the AMPC, I'm not going to read out all the names of the Bibles, rich and influential woman who insisted on his eating a meal. You see, these were part of her character. These were all actually virtues of this woman which made her great, which is revealed in the first verse of this whole story. She was a rich woman and she urged him to eat something. She was a well-to-do woman there and she pressed him to stay and eat a meal. She was a rich woman who invited him to her home for dinner. She was a great woman who detained him to eat bread. You're getting the message here. And she was a powerful woman. She was a, she was a strong-willed and minded woman, a person who was determined. Great attributes, great attributes. She was an important woman and she asked Elisha to stop. An important, prominent, wealthy woman, she begged him to eat. A woman of great estimation constrained him to eat bread. You see, you're getting the picture here? Here is uh, Elisha just travelling through probably going to stay at the prophet's inn at Shunem. That's probably where he was had intended, five-star. In ministry, it's always five-star, isn't it? <laughs> a woman of great estimation constrained him. An important woman lived there. She begged Elijah to stay, a prominent woman prevailing him to stop and eat food. This is how Different translators have had to try and come to a grips with the original Hebrew to try and convey to you that she was a mighty woman and that she did everything within her ability to get the prophet, a prominent prophet. He was the protege of the, the prophet of prophet Elijah, the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And here is Elisha the prophet. And here is she, a woman. Different status in those days. A leading lady of the town, she is described. Talked him into stopping for a meal. A notable, a noble woman who urged him. A woman of influence who pressed him to dine with her. A notable woman. She persuaded him. A well-known woman. And she convinced him. A great woman was there which held him that he should eat bread. Busily praying. A great woman. And she laid hold of him to eat bread. Amazing, isn't it? Are you getting the picture now what she did? What was within this woman that made her a great person and who would not be denied her miracle and who would not be denied in maintaining and keeping her miracle? Her miracle was the boy, but it could have been anything at the time. But the Hebrew word to describe the woman is gadolah, and is the word in the Hebrew which always describes God. Great is our God, we, we sang it this morning. That, w- that word is gadol Adonai, great is the Lord, gadol Adonai Elohim, great is the Lord God. The same word used in Genesis 1.16, and God made two great lights, that's the word that they used to describe this woman. The same word in, used in Genesis 12.2, and I will make of you a great nation, said God to Abraham, and make your name great. The same word used in Psalm 145 where God is described as being slow to anger and great in mercy. That's the same word that we're using to describe the Shunammite woman who's not even given the name in scripture. So a man held in high esteem, the prophet in the land, the man who poured water on the hands of Elijah. She constrained him, she persuaded him, she was insistent, urged and repressed, detained, stopped and begged... She pressed him, convinced him, and held him. And you are getting the picture now what it was for her to restrain this man of God? He could have kept going, camped outside the town, could have stayed at the motel, wherever. But this woman said, I am going to bless this man of God. It was her way of blessing God, a woman of great faith. Her intent was to bless, was not a throwaway line. As you hear so many times, you must come round for dinner. I've been said that to by, a, by a family now since the day that I got here. You must come round for dinner on a monthly basis. You must come round for dinner. You must come round for dinner. You must come round for dinner. At some point in time, you just go, yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. You must come round for dinner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You see the difference in this woman's attitude? Hell nor high water was not going to stop her from blessing the man of God. Amen? And she says, you're having dinner with me whether you like it or not. I'm serving Brussels sprouts. I hope you like them. (laughs) I will not take no for an answer. I'm going to bless you whether you like it or not. And in this first verse of the account, we are learning, we are learning now why this woman, although her name not mentioned, was penned in the original Hebrew as Gadol or Gedolah. Gedolah. Ish'ah Gedolah. That's woman, great. Hebrew language very often is very direct. Isha gadolah, woman, great. <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? Although the woman was great in so many ways, the family order was recognised. And I see this. She was an awesome woman of God. Awesome, awesome. But 2 Kings 4.22, Then she called her husband and said, Please send me on one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so you can see that there was a divine order in the house. Although she was an accomplished woman, a rich woman, a wealthy woman, had everything. She still worked within the divine order of the household. And I pray, does your house work within the divine order that God has ordained for it? Woke mentality and things like that doesn't recognize the biblical worldview of the family structure as outlined in Ephesians chapter 6 and also in Colossians. And so, uh, confronted on two occasions in regard to her husband, what was her response? It is well. It is well. In other words, she said shalom, which means peace. She says peace. Shalom. mashalom cha or mashalom ech. It means what is your peace? And you say shalom. Shalom. Peace. It's all good. She was basically saying to her husband, it's all good. Meanwhile, her son is dead on Elijah's bed. She locked up the room because it's Often in Hebrew tradition, they like to bury them straight away. She didn't want to come back and find her son already buried because she was believing for something more. She was not motivated by what she felt or saw. She was motivated by what she believed. She believed she got a son and she was going to have his son. And the devil was not going to rob her of a son. Amen? What's the devil robbing you of today? And here is the biblical standpoint right here in the Shunammite woman. Now the man now when she came to the man of God she caught him by the feet it says in verse 27 she came to Mount Carmel in fact she saddled that donkey herself a woman of substance a woman of influence a woman who had servants and all this sort of stuff she wasn't waiting for the servant to saddle the donkey she got out there saddled the thing herself and says go and get the go, come and come along with me and you prod the donkey while you run behind And so they went to Mount Carmel and back in a day. That was no mean feat. It's a full day's travel. Uh, I think it's about 20 miles, 15 to 20 miles at least. And so on a donkey, she went from Shunem to Mount Carmel, which is just inland from Haifa, if you go there to this day. And so when she she came near to Elisha, He says, how's your husband, how's How's your son, how's everything? And she just said, it is well. That was her response, it is well. Shalom, she said, peace. What's your response when the wheels are falling off things? Are you confessing that all the time? Or are you confessing the plans and purposes of God and continuing to speak life in the vision that God has for your life or are you going to speak death into that vision? Are you going to cut off and say, oh, that vision's not for me now. The devil's come and give me a hit and I've just been knocked into the infield and I don't think I can get up. Oh, no. Oh, no, that's not our response. That's not, the biblical response here is with the Shunammite woman. She said all is well. She, she said all is well. Life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Amen? Amen? Amen. Life and death and power of the tongue. I've got to learn myself. I've got to learn myself. I learn more than anybody when I put together these messages because the Lord's showing me spiritual principles how to bring this ministry into fruition. If I just looked out about me all the time, i go, gosh, I'd be under the bed. But I get out of the bed and I begin to declare the word of the Lord over that vision and I begin to declare it and I begin to declare it. Come here on, on Sunday morning and come and declare with us because that's what we do. We say, Lord, bring them in. Not by the hundreds, bringing them in by the thousands. Amen? We serve a big God. We serve a big God. And uh, I want to eradicate every puny thinking out of my thinking. How do you do that? Declare the greatness of God. Gadol Adonai Elohim. Great is the Lord God. Amen? This Shunammite woman got hold of the bigness of God. And in this our day when the harvest is so massive... Never have the churches been so empty in this our day, or not out here, but we're going to believe God that God's going to pack this place to the gills, fill up there. That's what we declared this morning. The verandas will be filled, and we we'll use this as an overflow area. There are 12,000 people, $6,000 million of work on the books for this area, or oh, there's increase for the church, there's increase for God's kingdom. And he will not, I say, the devil is overplaying his hand and the, and the Lord will have a harvest, amen? And it's not going to be a puny harvest. Will you agree with me? Will you agree with what God wants to do in this day and this age, amen? Oh, there's a big harvest and all we got to do is keep speaking it. Even when we get a few hits, because that's in the devil's job description. And we're here, we're going to take a few hits, And it says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and all the rest of it. Amen? Taking the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. What's the sword of the Spirit? It's the weapons of our warfare, which are mighty in God. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Rome defeated, defeated all those... Areas in the ancient world by the sword, but the Lord defeats his enemies by the truth. Amen? And the truth will prevail. Light will disperse darkness. It's a spiritual law and it will come to pass. Do not be swamped by negativity and discouragement when you turn on the news, because I read the back of the book and you are on the winning side. Turn to the person next to you and say, You are on the winning side, brother. You're on the winning side, sister. You're in good hands. Perhaps you've never heard anybody preach quite like this, but that's what the Bible says. And I have come to believe in the Word of God. Amen. I believe the Word of God. Yes. I believe the Word of God. It is a magnificent confession for your life. And when you apply these spiritual, spiritual principles to your life, for the vision that God has for your life, for your marriage, for your business, for your children, you will see it prosper. For that is the intent of God, that His people and that His children should prosper. Amen. Amen. It's not prosperity doctrine. It's just the gospel. God wants his people to prosper. And he is going to have a harvest. And he needs a vessel to flow through. The power of God needs to flow through something. The power of God needs to flow through people. Amen? The Lord says, I have given you dominion. How do we take dominion? When the power of heaven flows through a servant of God, we implement the dominion of the kingdom of God. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. As, and then in verse 30, the woman says, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the same determination that restrained and detained and caused that man to stop in and have a meal with them was the and to bless the man of God, so now that same determination she now pressed in to get the blessing of God from the man. Amen? That same determination that she exhibited to get that man of God to stop and come and have a meal with him. Then she built a room on top of the house for him, for Gehazi and for Elisha. And now when, when trouble came her way, she says, I know the answer is in God and the man of God. And she blessed him and then she hung on to him till she got his blessing. The same word was also used when Elisha detained Elijah. Remember that? Remember this? And, and the word of the Lord came to Elisha, Says, if you see Elijah go up, you will receive a double portion of the anointing. Do you remember that story? And the same word detained Elijah is the same word here where uh, the Shunammite woman detained Elisha. And I could see that Elisha was looking at this woman and she says, oh, I can identify with this woman. I know what it's like to press in and grab hold of that anointing, to grab hold of that miracle, because that's what I did. And somehow when Elisha looked at this woman, he could see himself, his determination pressed in and he grabbed hold of the double anointing. And Elisha performed 32 miracles, which was double that of Elijah's 16 miracles. Amen? Isn't that extraordinary? He did receive the double portion of anointing from Elijah. And so that same tenacity that, that caused that the man of God to stop and partake of a meal, she constrained him, she stopped him, it was the same determination she exhibited when she pressed in to grab hold of her miracle. And that young boy came to life, amen. amen. Some people say, oh, that's, that's not, that can't be right. I don't believe in people being raised from the dead. I, I knew a ministry uh, in about 1995 and one bloke there in New Guinea had raised more than 200 people from the dead. It's not, an, they're not remote stories. To raise people from the dead there's evidence everywhere you can go to south america and uh under the ministry of david hogan and so many 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 others not just notable americans but common blokes around there they don't have a hospital they don't have a doctor but they got god and when you're desperate for a miracle you'll most likely see one when you're desperate for a miracle you'll see one but in new guinea there uh there was a there was a guy there he visited our church in fact, he prophesied over my own life and he, he put, put, uh, pulled me out of a bunch of people and he said, you, he said, you'll see people raised from the dead and I knew it to be so. I don't like being put in a position where you've got to raise someone from the dead but there will come a time when we will, amen? amen. There will come a time and uh, what does it take? It just takes a belief in God. All you've got to do is take God at his word. Jesus raised people from the dead. All his prophets raised people from the dead. And there's literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of accounts today of people being raised from the dead. In Indonesia, 1974 reviled, revival with Maltari and so on. They, they saw all those sorts of things. In New Guinea, South America, numerous places. In China, there's no lack of evidence. It's what you do with the evidence. You can put your sceptical mind over it and say, as my own family did, when my own father was cured of an incurable pancreatic cancer, they said, oh, it was a misdiagnosis. He wasn't really dead. (laughs) People will say all sorts of things, won't they? To deny the amazing things of God. Great is our God. Great is our God. All God is great. A woman of faith pressing in God, not accepting the status quo. Are you accepting the status quo? just uh, jumped onto that shelf of mediocrity and said, oh, well, that's my, that's my lot. It's not a lot, but that's my lot. There is more for me in God. That's what the woman thought. There's more for me in God. I'll not take second best. Do you think just because you're a Christian, you've got to take second best? You've just got to be nice? Is being a Christian just being polite? No. Being a Christian is, you can be the rudest person on earth and still be a Christian. It's not a great virtue, nor is it a great fruit of the Spirit but you're a believer in God, amen, and you're believing in the power of God, and I say, we constrain the power of God more than anyone, more than anyone, you take God at his word, and the more literally, the better, and you'll see the hand of the Lord come your way, oh, it's a good thing, it's a good thing, there is more for me in God, I'm not eating the crumbs from the master's table, when there's a banquet, even in the presence of my enemies, says David, oh, that's what he says in the Psalms, that's paraphrasing, of course, but are you are we eating the crumbs of the power of God, or the presence of God? Are we eating the crumbs that's, that life serves up? Or are we going to partake of the divine nature of God, as First Peter talks about. The jewels would just come to the keys right now. I'm just about done. But I, I encourage you, when you go home this afternoon, I pray you do, write those few scriptures down, 29 verses, but see it through the lens of a mighty woman and then it shows you i mean all it says is there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food but do you get a greater picture now of what sort of woman she was what sort of woman she was great woman prominent influential rich urged him she was rich she was important a leading lady a woman of influence notable noble all these great words that the translators use to try and captivate what is written here in the original Hebrew. Mighty woman of substance. And the, all those words used to detain or insist that the prophet partake of a meal, she was determined, absolutely determined, to bless the men of God. And so in her hour of need, she was then determined to get her miracle from the man of God. See, you can see why the blessing flowed, can't you? Because you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Just in regard to, it is well, it is well, our direct response, her words. There was a man came, it's hard not to go past this song, written by Horatio Spafford, it is well with my soul. And we're going to sing that in a few moments time. But there's more to that story with Horatio Spafford. He is, I think he was born about 150 odd years ago. I can't remember the exact dates. I'll have to refresh my memory. And he, and he lost his first son about 12 or 18 months old of scarlet fever. The great Chicago fire came and he was a very wealthy man and he lost the majority of all his business interest in the great Chicago fire. He spent his time then helping others who had lost others in the great Chicago fire. To give some reprieve for the family, he sent them across the English Channel, across the Atlantic, and uh, to England. And uh, while they're on the way, just his wife and four girls he still had, the ship was T-boned by another ship called the Ville de Havre, and the ship sank, and nearly most people perished. All his four daughters perished. And when, you, when we sing this song, you'll see how the billows, he talks about it, it's all the pictorial language of, a, of an ocean coming over us in times of distress and hardship. And uh, when he made the Atlantic crossing himself, the captain came to him, he said, Mr. Spafford, we are now going over the place where the ship went down and your daughters lie in a watery grave. And he went down and penned this amazing song that all Christian world knows, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. You see, his life was not going to be encompassed by grief because he went on then, him and his wife, went on to be missionaries in Africa for I don't know how many years. And they still accomplished the vision that God had for their life, even though the great losses that came their way he was able to say like the Shunaman woman, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's stand to your feet. I'm believing today that there's a a resilience built in each and every one of us, an absolute resilience, a steadfastness, and above all, having stood, stand therefore in the face of adversity, stand therefore in whatever life dishes up or comes your way you can stand and see the goodness of God in the land of the living, that the vision for your life will be accomplished, I say. I speak it. I don't care what comes your way. The vision that the Lord has for your life will be accomplished in Jesus' name when you can say, it is well with my soul. It is well. I will not be engulfed. I will not be swamped, but I will take my stand in faith I'll put that life jacket of faith on which is built for the day of adversity. It is built for the day when the storms in life will come and I will have my miracle. I will retain my miracle. I will keep my miracle and I will see life come in again in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray the the blessing of heaven over every single person here. To those listening on the podcast, we play blessing in the name of Jesus. I pray such a strength rise up within you that you begin to obtain and hold on to the promises of God. With a tremendous resilience and backbone, you will not settle for second best. But when the declared word of the Lord over the vision that God has for your life, your words which create your life will remain firm to the word of God. I pray these things and release them in the realm of the spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name
1: when peace